Welcome to Bible Study, Parody, and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. In the last two episodes, we encountered in the Gospel of Matthew the idea of the kingdom of heaven, which I have translated dynamically as the new society. John comes proclaiming the dawning of the new society, and after he is arrested, Jesus picks up the message and begins leading the movement. By the end of chapter 4, Jesus has amassed a large international following through healing and spreading the good news of the new society. For the next three chapters, Jesus will lay out a sort of law, or an interpretation of Israel's law, for this new movement, for a new society. This new law will reflect peasant realities. It will possibly have feminist overtones, and it will invert the male honor code of the first century Mediterranean world. And it might even play with the whole idea of law. My name is Bert Newton, and this is Bible Study, Parody, and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 5 of Matthew begins with Jesus going up on a mountain to give a new law to his followers. With this scene, Matthew again evokes Moses' imagery. You see, in the book of Exodus, Moses goes up on a mountain to receive the law, which he then gives to the people of Israel. So Jesus is here again presented as a second Moses. Now, is this a new law? Or is it simply an interpretation of the existing law? Or maybe it's an updating of the law. I'm not sure that the answer is very clear. On the one hand, Matthew presents Jesus' message of the new society as grounded in Israelite history. And he presents Jesus as a Jewish rabbi who has his own interpretation of the law, just as every great rabbi does. In ancient Judaism, a rabbinic school's interpretation of the law was called its halakha. So Jesus is portrayed in Matthew as not only a rabbi, but the leader of a rabbinic school with its own halakha. That may be the most simple way to understand what is happening. As we proceed through the story, Jesus will be portrayed as a very skillful peasant rabbi who can outwit the educated scribes of the upper classes. To do this, he has to appeal to the law of Israel, which implies that he is merely interpreting the law, not making up a new one or appealing to an updated version. But it is also important to know that the law of ancient Israel, which is called the Torah, contains its own updating 
The written Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It's a little confusing because it's not all law. It also contains a lot of stories, a lot of uh, history of Israel. Within that history, we get the giving of the law by Moses at Mount Sinai in the second book, the book of Exodus. But then in the last book, Deuteronomy, Moses gives the law a second time, and there are some changes, some updates. In fact, Deuteronomy means second law. Of course, we would expect that in any law of any nation. There are always updates. So we might interpret Jesus' discourse in chapters 5 through 7 as an update. This could be Jesus' Deuteronomy. But Matthew also presents us with this new reality of the kingdom of heaven, the new society, as I've called it. So maybe this is a new law loosely based on the old one. I don't think it's quite clear, and I think the author of Matthew maybe likes it that way. I think we were meant to think that it is all of the above, an interpretation of the law of Israel, an updating of that law, and a new law that can encompass the international dimensions of the new society. As we will see, Jesus' law is highly poetic, more of a guide than an actual law. Let's read its preamble, commonly known as the Beatitudes. It starts with Jesus on a mountain, like Moses. This is Matthew 5, 1 to 16. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew presents Jesus' discourse as a teaching, which is one reason some readers might miss that it is the law for the new society. But in Israel, the Torah was as much a teaching as a law, and Moses was known not only as the great lawgiver, but also as the great teacher. Jesus lays out nine Beatitudes, 
A beatitude was a form of teaching most commonly found in the wisdom literature of ancient Israel. The wisdom books were closely associated with the educated scribal class. By using a wisdom literary form, Matthew presents Jesus as a scribe, but a peasant scribe. The scribes were not of the peasant class. They came from the upper classes. While the wisdom books reflected establishment wisdom, Jesus' teaching will reflect peasant wisdom. He is a peasant scribe, a peasant rabbi. With these nine Beatitudes, Jesus turns the world upside down. These Beatitudes invert the male honor code of the first century Mediterranean world, so much so that they may even be thought of as promoting a feminine honor code. In addition to inverting the male honor code, with these Beatitudes, Jesus promises liberation for the poor and offers a path of nonviolent resistance to the powers that be as a way to the new society. Let's look at the first Beatitude. The NRSV translates the first Beatitude this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the idiom poor in spirit here has a long history of misinterpretation. It is often interpreted as meaning humble. Commentators who interpret it as humble give little in the way of evidence to support that interpretation. It just comes across to the modern reader as meaning something like humble. And it provides a convenient counterpoint to Luke's version of this beatitude. In Luke, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't sound right to privileged North American Christians. Why would Jesus give the kingdom of God only to the poor? That's not fair to the rest of us good-natured, more affluent people. So we like to think that Matthew provides a convenient counter-beatitude to balance it all out so that it's not about actual economics, being rich or poor. It's about one's attitude, which is to say it's not about anything, because we can always fake an attitude. But this idiom, poor in spirit, can be traced in ancient Jewish literature. In the Psalms and in Isaiah, there are similar expressions about those whose spirits have been crushed or humiliated. In one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, known as the War Scroll, the exact same expression refers to people who have been defeated by the forces of evil. When Matthew here uses poor in spirit, he wants us to think of people whose spirits have been crushed and humiliated. People defeated by political and economic forces too large for them to withstand. That would be the peasants, the poor and dispossessed, Of Galilee. But why would Jesus call them blessed? Well, because the new society is for them. That's what this movement is all about. Those previously cursed in the old society will be blessed in the new one. So, really, there is no disagreement between Matthew and Luke. They both declare that the new society is for the poor and oppressed who have been cursed in the current society. So let's move to the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Here, Matthew has Jesus riffing off of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which speaks of good news for the oppressed and comfort for all who mourn. In the context of Isaiah 61, those who mourn are those who have been oppressed. So Jesus says that they will receive comfort in the new society. Then Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Or at least that's how the NRSV translates it. It can also be translated, Blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the land. And if you know the Hebrew scriptures well, which the original audience would have, you would realize that Jesus is riffing off of Psalm 37.11, which declares the poor will inherit the land. Many peasants in Galilee had been dispossessed of their ancestral lands through taxation and debt. But in the new society, Jesus declares the land will belong to them again. Blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the land. Next, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, an NRSV translation. The word translated into English as righteousness refers to social righteousness or justice. So a better translation might be, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Now, Jesus is not referring to people who passionately desire justice for idealistic reasons. Those who hunger and thirst for justice are those who have been denied justice. Again, the poor and the oppressed. Their hunger will be filled in the new society. And so again, we see a parallel with Luke, where Jesus says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be filled. With these first four Beatitudes, Jesus promises liberation for the poor and the oppressed in the new society. In the next five Beatitudes, he will invert the male honor code and thereby provide a path of nonviolent resistance to the powers as the way to the new society. The first century Mediterranean world was an honor-shame society. Honor was more valuable than money. Honor has been characterized by social scientists who have studied the first century Mediterranean world as the true currency of the culture. In this honor-shame culture, honor could only be acquired by men. Women only had honor in their relationship to men. Also, honor was understood to be a limited good, so to acquire honor, one had to take it from someone else. This could be done through violence, but more often it was done in other ways, such as by granting or giving someone something that they could not reciprocate. So gift-giving was often a treacherous occasion in which one might lose honor if one was not careful. Jesus does not break out of the honor-shame system. That would be impossible and culturally incomprehensible. Instead, Jesus redefines What is honorable? Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. As we proceed through the story, we will see that mercy is a hallmark of the new society. Now, saying that the merciful are blessed does not in itself invert the male honor code, 
because it was thought that being able to grant mercy was an honorable thing. But it was not necessarily honorable in the way Jesus means it here. When a man granted mercy to someone, it proved his power. And it humiliated the one receiving the mercy. But notice that Jesus says that the merciful will receive mercy. So it is not only honorable to give mercy, but to receive it as well. Jesus is talking about a whole society of grace where everyone gains honor by constantly practicing mercy, by granting and receiving mercy. Honor for everyone and mercy for everyone. Jesus then says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In light of the honor-shame dynamics that I just described, this beatitude makes a lot of sense in terms of what Jesus wants to promote in the new society. The only other place where this phrase, pure in heart, is found is in the Psalms. There it indicates having pure motivations, not being deceitful, and also not having blood on your hands. In a parable later in Matthew, Jesus will teach his disciples to forgive people from the heart. The parable will contrast forgiving from the heart to forgiveness that is done merely to gain honor. Given the tendency of powerful males to use mercy and forgiveness to gain honor and thereby humiliate others, Jesus calls for purity of heart. Next, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Here again we see the nonviolent dimension of Jesus' message. The term peacemakers does not necessarily refer to people who mediate conflict and thereby bring peace, although that could be also in view. The word can be translated as doers of peace, so those who do peace, those who walk in the way of peace, and those who create the environment in which peace can flourish. In other words, those who do justice. Here again, we may be seeing the male honor code inverted, or at least modified. In the honor-shame system of the first century Mediterranean world, the ability to wage war successfully was considered honorable. And to allow someone to get away with violence done to you without responding in like manner was considered shameful. But Jesus lifts up those who are able to walk in the way of peace in a violent world. He casts them as the honorable ones, not the war makers. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness or justice. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here, Jesus really inverts the male honor code. He honors those who are persecuted. To be persecuted was to be subject to shame. But Jesus declares that the new society belongs to the ones who can absorb that violence for the sake of justice. Jesus continues in this same vein. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus honors those who are dragged into court 
to have false charges made against them, which foreshadows Jesus' own trial. Matthew describes Jesus' trial in chapter 26 this way. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. So Jesus is giving honor to those who can follow in his footsteps all the way to the cross. Dying on a cross was one of the most shameful ways to die. It was dying while being publicly humiliated. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew turns this shame into honor. Jesus then compares their fate with that of the prophets. He tells his peasant hearers that their persecution is their honor because that is how the prophets were treated. And they, these Galilean peasants, are the prophets now. Jesus continues, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Jesus tells these poor Galilean peasants, dispossessed and hungry, humiliated by the upper classes and the foreign Roman occupation, he tells them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Again, Jesus turns the whole world upside down. Salt and light were symbols of wisdom. The upper classes understood themselves as the keepers of wisdom. They were the educated ones. They trained the scribes. But Jesus says that this peasant movement, awakening from the cruel slumber of oppression, is now the light of the world and the salt of the earth. It's not just that Jesus is a great teacher, but that all the peasants in the movement for the new society are teachers, light and salt for the world. As we go through the story, we will see how Jesus continues to awaken the common people to their own power to heal, to teach, and to liberate. The new society will be a society in which the people hold power and wisdom, in which all the people are salt and light for each other. My name is Bert Newton, and this has been Episode 9 of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Uh-huh.